Toronto! I wonder if they can hear it on Long Island. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Bless you, boys. What a game. Welcome to the MLHS Podcast. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Anthony Petrielli. We are coming to you at a grim moment for your Toronto Maple Leafs. We are more than halfway through the season. They are not on track for 100 points due to a four-game losing streak that has included plenty of leads blown. I'm sure we're going to go big picture today. We'll talk about where this team stands. We're going to talk about Sheldon Keefe. But just to start it off, Anthony, what are you seeing in this losing streak? These are sometimes it's tricky to record at these times, right? Because the market is red hot. People are really upset and emotional and heated about it. So I've been trying to kind of take a step back and and be as partial as I can. You know, it's frustrating to watch them lose and blow a number of games late in the game. There's no doubt about that, that at some, you know, they do it at this point. They've done it, you know, three games in a row. The Islanders won. They didn't blow late, but they did obviously cough up the lead. I think a lot of it are, are things that we've kind of spoken about, right? I think it was only a couple episodes ago we were talking about playoff odds and, and whatnot because they had a little bit of a rough stretch around Christmas there. And, you know, we kind of said, you know, the worry about making the playoffs is almost non existent but the worry about going anywhere in the playoffs is very high. And this just kind of points to that and further feeds into their defensive issues and struggles. And, you know, I, again, yeah, that's not news to anyone. They clearly need help on defense. I, I think this just further reinforces that. Yeah. For them to win, it's almost like, yeah, they did blow these leads. Yes, they do have defensive issues, but as currently constructed, this is an offense first outfit. It's a very strong offensive team and it's not a good defensive team. So almost the way they need to hold leads is by scoring more goals. And in these games, they don't have very strong goal totals. And so they have gotten, you know, one goal, two goal lead. I'm not saying you shouldn't keep that lead, you know, against the Avalanche, a three goal lead. That's tough to give up, but a lot of it can actually you know, be pinned on the offense getting shut down later in the, these games. Like you're not going to Edmonton scoring two goals and winning the game. Like that is in- incredibly unlikely that that's going to happen. And it, when we spoke last week, there was a lot of optimism around the lease. It just shows how far the pendulum can swing. But there was a little bit on our part of caution saying, okay, this is cool, but they played the one game against LA. And then other than that, they played against teams that weren't real teams. Now, I'm not saying that the Islanders are an incredible team or Detroit's an incredible team, and the context around that game makes it a lot more painful, I think, for people who support the Leafs, but they kind of got McKinnoned by Colorado, and they ran into an Edmonton team that is incredibly hot right now, and I'm not saying that that means that they shouldn't be worried about this at all, and if, in fact, if you listen to Mitch Marner, I think he's perhaps a little bit overly cavalier about what's going on with the Leafs right now, but... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a classic. It's never as good as it looks when it's good. It's never as bad as it looks when it's yeah. bad. And it looks really, it looks really bad right now. And I get that, but I think there's a middle ground to be struck between complete panic and Mitch Marner saying, you know, we're actually guys, we're actually playing great right now. Don't worry about all the losses. Like there is, I think that's the the course to chart is somewhere between those two things. So to me, that's a bit of a new issue that's actually emerging from this um 
not that specific Mitch Marner quote, but just sort of the mindset. And maybe when I say new, that maybe just means more publicly uh, than maybe we've sort of been accustomed to or led to believe. I just, you know, the, the Marner quote, okay, that is what it is. And, and then it's further reinforced by Sheldon Keefe and, you know, I'll just what he said specifically, they have been the best team in the league for the last two months by a mile, not just winning and, in, and winning in different ways, but the consistent thing is that they have been dominant in doing so. They are going to have their pushes, but I thought we managed their best people about as well as you were going to manage them in a hockey game. So that was part of one quote. And I'm not doing this to sort of like radio him where you kind of add things together. But on one hand, he spoke about how good he thinks Edmonton is. And then on the other, he also added to me, we played a great hockey game. And I don't know about that. Yeah. And objectively, I, I look at it. The shot attempts were 68, 46 for Edmonton at five on five. They out-attempted the Leafs in every single period. They basically won everything territorial against the Leafs across the board. I do think the Leafs could have scored more. I thought it was, you know, he did mention a collection of scoring chances that they missed and breakaways. And interestingly enough, I kind of have a habit of of looking to see how the other market perceived the game. And I was looking at the Edmonton Journal and their headline was that Stuart Skinner stole one for them which I thought was interesting. I don't, I definitely don't think I don't agree one. with that at all. I don't agree with that. Like the Leafs yeah. were fantastic out of the gate. Like they exploded into the first five minutes they, of that game. But other than that, they, I never felt like they're the better team. They easily could have had a two or three goal lead. How meaningful that is given what just happened against Colorado. I don't know. Um, But, you know, to me, and then further the, when they played Nathan McKinnon and that five man unit just absolutely tilted them. And after the game, Sheldon said, you know, that's not the NHL. They're, you know, those guys are incredible, which they are. I'm not taking anything away from them or against Edmonton, who I also think is easily one of the best teams in the league. But that's not, this isn't year two of the rebuild. You're not looking at teams anymore saying, this is who we aspire to be. You're looking at all of your stars in their prime lighting it up all getting paid and the expectation is when you're at home against Colorado McKinnon doesn't come in there and have his way with you for two periods and the expectation is when you play Edmonton and the shot attempts are 68 to 46 that's not a great hockey game and I just I really worry about the bar that they have and what they think is good. And I, I was kind of looking back at Devin Tays a, about a month ago uh, with Colorado. And, and when he said, there are guys here that think they're playing well, and I think that they're kidding themselves. And, you know, you, you think back to Nathan McKinnon before they won the cup where he was like, I'm nine years into the league and I haven't won shit. And then they won the cup the next year. And, you know, McDavid, you could see it burns him and he's just becoming more and more vocal even the way that he's kind of pushed back against the penalty nonsense, right? I just, I don't know. I just find that they're they're constantly delusional on these things. It's, it's uh, you know, it, even, even the penalties, right? You know, sh- they make like a sarcastic comment about the Manson uh, cross-check, which was clearly a penalty. 
And it's never just like, this is bullshit. And it's got to stop. Or, you know, at some, to me, you have to lean into it one way or the other. Either you're going to complain until it's like, it's like so crazy, or you're going to go like, it's us against the refs. It's us against the world. Like we have to fight uphill battles all the time. Our guys still hang in there and do it. They're just, there's nothing. And then when they're playing these really good teams and they're having really poor moments or extended periods of times, it's not, our guys need to be better. It's wow. Their guys are really good. I guess that's problematic. Yeah. And if you want to win the Stanley cup, you're going to face some teams with some good players. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. I, my totally unscientific theory on it is that there's a component of the market and the idea that when the Leafs lose a couple games in a row or have a stretch like this, there's this panic and they don't want to lean into the panic. So they're always trying to project like, oh, we're, you know, like Mitch Marner, like we're confident, we're a good team, we're playing well, we did okay, these things just happen. And to some extent, that's true. Like hockey is a big, this, these things just happen type of sport. Like it is a, a weird sport in that way where you can be dominant and you can not get the result you deserve. That happens all the time in the NHL. That's why you have an 82 game season. Cause over the course of that season, we find out who the good teams are, but over a week, over a couple weeks, weird, weird stuff can definitely happen. And so I get that. But the idea of always pushing, it, it's like, Oh, we're doing fine. We're on course. Don't panic. Everyone even keel. Like, there is value to that in a sense, but I do think that Keith has pushed too far the other way. Like he's over adjusted to the situation to the point where everything is okay. Like no matter what happens, it's like, okay, it's fine. Everything is okay. And with that, like you said, the bar isn't high enough. If whenever things go wrong, you find a way to put your mindset in a place where that's unfortunate, but one step in front of the other, things are ultimately okay. Like that mindset can only take you so far and i'm not saying that like this is the thing that is crushing the you know defense is the thing that's crushing the leafs on a night and night basis like that's the biggest reason why they're disappointing but like i do think it is a structural issue that this focus on having an even keel creates a permission structure for them to not play well or to have a bad night because it's like oh it's okay it's just one night it's okay that's a great team and at the end of the day, you know, getting incredibly mad over everything and throwing chairs around a room, like there's, you could argue about what the utility of that is. It just doesn't seem like they've found the right balance for holding themselves accountable for getting mad when at themselves for not performing. I mean, the John Tavares quasi benching um, is, you know, it's an unusual thing. Like that's something in that direction, but in an overall sense, it do does feel sometimes like the Leafs are, self-satisfied in a way that isn't really justified by their play a lot of the time yeah and i think that's the toughest thing to kind of reconcile here right i understand that they would want to sit there and probably project a little bit more of a confident showing publicly uh because things can pile on however you're on the road so you're not living the media headlines you're not consumed by the market at that point right where they currently are right and they're going to be on the road for a week here or whatever it is and two there's a difference between i guess somewhat trying to shift a narrative or keep it in check and just flat out lying right and and to me that line was kind of crossed a little bit with 
the way that that game was explained and the way that they seemed to feel about what happened, you know, and, and he said, if we play that game over, we are going to score four or five, a lot of nights. Edmonton might also get some of their chances that they didn't score. Like that's such a silly kind of fan mindset. It's like, yeah, Edmonton might also score more. Yeah. And then the rest of that was, they are a great team. They are going to get their two or three, but you win this game. And ultimately, again, I'll just continue to point to 6846 and say, by and large, you have to understand. And I'm sure that he does. If he, you get... he has numbers available to him. He's not a complete idiot. Like someone has told yeah. him about that and he's seen it on the, like if... you we're watching the game. You don't have to look at the shot. Yeah. You, could yeah, you don't it. have, to, you could see that they were continually territorially outplayed. And yeah, that dry sidle goal was a bad goal, but the same thing. I wrote it on the weekend. I forget which one of the Detroit, <laughs> I think it was the Colorado game, but you could kind of pick or choose between the two. If you are continually outplayed in your zone, you are just more susceptible to stupid goals like that happening because they are just getting a ton of volume. Like something stupid is bound to happen. And, and that's also, what happens. You're starting Martin Jones, who's had a great run, but also for the last He's five years good. has been a below average goaltender every single year. Like he, yeah. he hasn't been an above average goaltender in, in a long time. You know, he's done a lot for their season and they got to be thankful they have him in the organization, all that jazz. But like, let's remember who Martin Jones is for a second here. Like, let's remember what the goaltending, forget about what his numbers are right now. You can forget what Samsonov's numbers are right now because he's probably can be expected to be better than those numbers. But your expected goaltending going into a given night is not very high right now. You've got kind of a journeyman dude who's okay, probably at best. And you've got a guy who's been fighting it and having a difficult season. So if you're continually giving up a lot of chances and making life difficult on those guys, like those type of goals are going to go in. Like, you you know, you don't have Connor Hellebuck back there. That's not the reality. Yeah. And I think that kind of helps us shift into uh, a bit of a different but similar conversation as you kind of go through the losing streak. So ultimately, you know, Championship teams talk about having some form of identity. And the reason that that you kind of need it is for lulls like this, you know, stretches of poor play. I've been getting a ton of people asking, are they going to make the playoffs now? And again, I still feel good. The amount of things that still would need to happen for them to not make the playoffs would be fairly significant. You know, there's still... Yeah, it's like an 80 plus percent proposition. Yeah. Like it, it could not happen, but that's... They're, they're still in a playoff spot. They have not played that well. And you would need about three teams to go on big heaters in the second half. And for the Leafs to also not go on a heater at any point, it like that it quite quite a few dominoes would have to fall for that to happen. So so I'm not feeling that part. They'll they'll smooth things out to some degree. But the thing that I've been trying to figure out a little bit is what is their formula for winning? Like what does winning look like to them? Like what is a Toronto Maple Leafs win? I think it's them scoring a bunch and then hoping that a now healthy Joseph Wool on the back end gives them above average goaltending to make up for not great defensive play. Yeah, so basically it's like we hope that our top guys light it up and our goalie is good. 
At, yeah. I, I shouldn't say hope because they they are really good and they are going to light it up. Like Neilander is not about to go pointless for the next forty games. You know, he's on a four game pointless streak right now. It's coincided with a four game losing streak. Um, terrible timing with obviously the contract. I mean, extension. he's been magnetic to the posts. Like a lot of people are trying to make some kind of contract I, narrative, but he's been banging it off bars and posts. And I thought he there. was the only reason the second line was getting out of the zone last night. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> it's yeah. funny because we talked about how we were, and maybe we'll get to this. We're a little bit time short today about things we might do if we had control of tweaking the lineup. And one thing that I liked was the idea of trying a nice Tavares Nylander threesome because they didn't get much time before but it didn't really it, it had not really worked in like 20 minutes in a couple games i was like let's try that again then they tried it in edmonton and it w- did not work at all i mean i don't know if that means it could never work but that was a it was a grim showing from that iteration for sure nice yeah. really struggles on the breakout against good teams against i mean mccarr had that four on two Ma- chance on edmonton and he just absolutely bad. bungled it that was that brutal. was bad you can't go offside with the nhl yeah. like you like that that can't happen. Um, and he wasn't the one that got went offside. He was the one that forced the offside because of how bad he played it. Um, but as you kind of as you kind of go through, I guess that's probably the biggest issue that people have with the stars getting paid and the way everything is kind of doled out. And and it's tough, right? Because we've had these conversations a million times, and and people are tired of hearing it. They're upset, and the only thing I can say is like, I don't run the team. Like I can't make up new conversation it's it's the same person running the show and it's the same key players all in place and so when you are that's why the mckinnon comment is frustrating that's why the edmonton comment is frustrating because i'm kind of sitting there going well you with everything you do in terms of how you deploy the lineup how you protect these guys how you pay them how they're treated all of these things the whole team is is really funneled to them and everything is is geared towards them and so for you to sit there and say well the star stars on the other team are really good you know it this isn't this isn't david quinn throwing out mikel granlin over the board saying all right you know <laughs> what like why do we lose to colorado well mckinnon's unbelievable and i have mikel granlin to go up against him and no offense to mikel granlin who i think is a useful player there's really not much to talk about here now, is there? Like, that's not the situation that they're in. So, I don't know. I Like, at some point, do they just have to be honest with it and say, maybe we can't ride these guys and bring them to the... And they'll bring us to the place that we thought that they could on their own. I mean, and I think that this is part of the reason why a lot of fans are talking about Sheldon Keefe's job right now, right? Because it's like... It is, you can't, there's not something that's going to happen with these four guys this season, right? There's not going to be an in-season trade where, you know, the, the contracts are too big, the cap is too strapped around the league. Like, it's just, it's not realistic. So fans are like, what can possibly happen between now and the playoffs that gets the Maple Leafs to a better place? And one of them is working at the trade deadline, which... If they don't have a ton of assets, we're now hearing a little bit of chatter about the degree to which they want to deploy those assets, and we'll get to that. But one thing that people see is the possibility of like, what if we try and get the the new coach bounce? What if Keefe's, whether it's the way he's deploying his players, whether it's his message internally, externally, it's just not working anymore. Is it time to cut ties with Sheldon Keefe? And there's sort of two parts to that one. It's like, is it time? Yes or no? I think there's a good argument for yes, I probably would have done it prior to the season with Treliving. Like you normally have a, a GM bring in 
the coach that they want to install to have them run the team the way they envision it. That's not what happened. And then there's the, are the Leafs actually going to do that? And then that goes back to when Fruit Living came in as well, where it seemed like the Leafs kind of wanted a GM that was comfortable riding with Keefe. Although Shanahan reportedly said that was going to be the new GM's decision, it was sort of implied that uh, that they liked having Keefe around. So the organization likes Keefe. I'm not sure what it would take for them to take that step. I personally, again, I'm not saying I'm not an insider. I'm not Chris Johnson or whatever, but I, my personal feeling is that we're not necessarily nearing that point the way some fans think we are. Yeah, I don't really think it's it's a noteworthy conversation until this road trip wraps up. They're definitely not going to do it in the middle of the road trip. That's just not going to happen. And because it doesn't make sense. They're playing like they're playing three games and four nights coming up. You're not firing him in the middle of that. Yeah, because so, then you don't put your you want to put a new coach in a good situation. You don't want to put him in the middle of a tough West Coast road trip against good teams that are hot. Yeah. So to that end, I'll say we kind of need to see how these games go. You know, if they win two out of the next three, kind of quiet things down a little bit, they're going to just continue to ride it out at this point and kind of see how the overall season continues to progress. But if they go over their next three, I don't think he would get, I don't think he would come back, but then they play Winnipeg back to back. And we know how those games go. And meaning that they're, they're feisty, they're intense. Winnipeg gets really up for them. Uh, they seem to care about it more than they reasonably should. But <laughs> it's a dangerous team what? right now, too. That team's yeah. playing great. Yeah, it's crazy. They're allowing like a goal a game. <laughs> I think they've gone 27 games in a row without allowing three goals. Like, it's, and they didn't it's have Kyle Connor for most of Not that he's like yeah. the defensive force, but like a, as an offensive centerpiece, they've been doing all this without him. Yeah, and nothing uh, nothing says Toronto Maple Leaf hockey like trying to win a game 2-1. So, <laughs> you know, all all that to say is... After this stretch of five games, if they're if they're one and four or I mean, if they're oh and five, I think it'll be untenable. Like I I, I the market will turn quickly. I think there's a lot of built up uh, frustration. Um, what was the Burke line when he fired Ron Wilson? It was like, I thought it would be a form of cruel and unusual punishment to have him coach again in Toronto in front of the fans. Right. Like it'll it'll turn like that. Like the fans will lose it and it'll get ugly. And like it, like that's why I think it would happen because I think it might hit a point where it's just like, why are we? Like, this is this is really bad in terms of like we just need to change the energy somehow. Like it can snowball to this point in Sheldon's career. I'll, I'll give him that. There's been a few times over the past couple of years where it's felt on the precipice of of. <laughs> Like this could snowball and and get ugly, and he's always managed to kind of un- back in. yeah, and he's managed to unravel it. And uh, honestly, a large part of that is because he just sits there and says, "I'm just going to play the tar out of the top guys," and they're just too good to night after night be denied. Again, like Nylander's not going to. I would be floored if Nylander, you know, we record next week and five games have gone, four games have gone by. And we sit there and go, holy cow, Nylander is on a nine-game pointless streak. I'll be floored. It could happen. I'll be floored, though. So generally speaking, him leaning on that the way that he is and the way that he does in a regular season should push them through something like this. But like I said, to the, the point of it, I've detailed my concerns with how the team is run and all of these things for about three years now since the Habs loss 
I I don't have a continue like there's not much new stuff I have to say about it. I've kind of made my my point clear on it, but he's managed to unravel his his way out of these uh, by smoothing things out when this goes down. I just I don't again, it's not going to happen during this road trip. It probably wouldn't even make sense to do it before the Winnipeg back to back unless it was like crazy ugly. Um, So, yeah, I think to me, I just kind of sit back and say it's the same thing with trade deadlines like for Sheldon, it's like, let's sit back, watch these five games and see how it goes. Cause I don't think they're close to it yet. To your point for trade deadline is very much the same. Let's see how they, they have a month or so to prove it here that they deserve for tree living to be a buyer. Yeah. And I mean, that's something tree living is sort of, I think trilling is getting out in front of it a little bit and sort of hinting. He said, I, I also think you have to be careful at the trade deadline. We'll continue to watch our team, but I'm a, not a big believer that you make your team at the deadline. You have to be careful with that. And I think the purpose of those words are to start to set expectations that this might be, you know, a depth right-hand defenseman and a, you know, maybe a bottom six guy, if that, like, because he is so light on assets, because, you know, as a guy who just came in and does have a longer term view of the team, he's probably less likely than a guy who's at the end of his rope. Like sometimes you see GMs and you know they're at the end of the rope. So then it's time to start making some radical moves and mortgaging the future. Living isn't that guy. He just arrived. So he's going to think about those assets in a different way than another person who felt like they were managing for their job. And right now, like if nothing changes, if this is approximately what we get for the next little bit, not like this as in the last four games, but this as in the previous 100, uh, 100 previous 42 games, um, then I think it is pretty hard to make an argument that you want to push a lot of chips in for this team because a world where the 2023-24 Maple Leafs make a serious, deep, I don't know, final four type of playoff run is extremely hard to envision right now. And, and it's not impossible by any means. Like there is, there's some elite talent on this team. You never know about a hot goalie that you get or a soft goalie on the other side. Like there's a lot of things that can happen in the playoffs. It's one I of the most. The East is wide open. Honestly, I do. I still do. I, I think but Florida it, has the class of it, but beyond that, there's no one I'd be like, this is crazy. They have no chance. There's no one they can't beat, I guess, theoretically. And it helps it on the Metro side. It's not like Carolina has been more daunting in previous years than they are now. Like I like the Rangers, but the Rangers aren't like an absolute impossible thing to break through i get it the rangers have a number of worse metrics than the leafs you know but people the leafs have quietly been climbing the charts territorially the edmonton game was bad but the, you know like they they're starting to become like a fringe top 10 top 10 team in most of you know yeah but fringe top 10 team is not i have a pretty limited cupboard of prospects and picks here and uh, i want to no, empty it but, like, but I'm saying, I'm saying in the sense that, it, you know, people are constantly bringing up teams like the Rangers to me. Like, why? If if the Leafs had the same things going on as the Rangers, people would be like this, you know, the, it'd be the exact same conversation. I mean, now, not good enough to buy, blah, blah, blah. But instead, people are looking at the Rangers going, well, they should be in it. Why? What's the difference? I mean, the division, I guess, like the road they have. Also, I think that there's a bit of a bias for people towards teams that are supposedly, you know, elite goalie, supposedly defensively sound. Like the yeah. Leafs in some ways don't feel like, I don't know. Again, this is people's mindset that like a playoff team is a, is a team that wins 2-1 and the Leafs don't feel like that to people. And you could argue about whether that's right in the big picture, but in the Leafs playoff yeah, history, it hasn't right. been the case. 
No, I, I think, think it's an right. old. I think it's an old-fashioned way of thinking for sure. But if you're talking about sort of like the, I don't know, the media, the hockey intelligentsia, whatever it is, I think that the the stereotype is the teams that win in the playoffs are the big, strong teams with the great goalie and the great defense that win 2-1 and have the number one defenseman and build from the blue line and all that jazz. And the Leafs aren't that. The Leafs have failed to disprove that, um, which doesn't mean that overall it shouldn't be disproven or can't be disproven. I did have a bit of a problem with that comment, though. Um, I do have to say, just from from Tree Living, that's the comment I'm referring to about I'm a believe, you know, you got to be careful at the deadline. I believe you build the team in the summer. And to that, I just say, did you believe that you built the team in the summer? Like, did you sit there and say, like, this is like everything is in place by and large and just a little bit of tweaking here and there will be required? Because I instantly looked at the team and went, this is like a skeleton roster in terms of what they will need to do at the deadline, particularly on defense. Like, I think the forwards are good. I, I don't think the forwards, um, I don't think they're getting the right, like the correct amount of juice from the squeeze that they should be getting from their forwards, truly. And then you have a few guys, like, I really like Tyler Bertuzzi, but you can't be on pace for under 15 goals and under 40 points playing with, you know, a guy who might get 100 that like that's just that that is underachieving the end of the day I, I recognize all of the little things that he does on the ice and the value he brings and you know the amount of goals he's contributed to without getting a point which I think is a, a good chunk but you can't be that you can't have that level of production in the top six like you just can't like that's just that is too low so I will and say anyone who's played with Marner and Matthews, like nice, like, you know, if yeah, you look at the yeah. raw production they're like other, the guys who are playing with the core four guys have not done. And I, I really like the way Bertuzzi plays as well. And I think, like yeah. you said, there's a lot of things he does that don't show up on the score sheet. But if you think of the guys playing alongside your yeah, core nice four is guys, tracking for playing. like 32 points or something. And he's playing with the best goal scorer in the world. Like that is well, I got Pontus Holmberg now, though. So yeah. now it's all going to change. This guy's like, tracking for however many points he's when, like. When you think game. about that, when you think about that production, that is like that is very difficult to do. Like that's actually might be harder than to throw up just like a fifty-five point season. Like what do you have to do? You just have to forecheck, go to the net, and get him the puck. That is it, right? So again, I don't think that they've gone the juice worth the squeeze i generally look at their forward group and say it should be better than what they've ultimately put out even though i know that they are higher up there in terms of uh goals per game they've generally put the puck in the net and their power play is good i just it it shouldn't be as star driven although i again I, i'll always circle back to i think part of that is just because of the way that they run it they don't necessarily empower anybody else to be good um, the the thing that we'll hear often as well, like why would they play those guys when the top guys are better? But I just I think that's small time thinking. I don't think that is a proper bigger picture to have. Y you know, Nylander got two games at center in preseason, looked good. They took him off. They never did it again. And now, quite predictably, John Tavares is hitting a wall, and they're sitting there going like, we don't we don't know what to do at center. Well, even in Detroit, they had the one game where they're like, things are not going well. Let's try and split these guys up and have three lines. 
and they got that good game out of Bertuzzi, Domi, and and Marno, which is a game which is a line I actually don't really like conceptually because it's three no. pass first guys. But they tried that for one game and it didn't work. And so and then it's it's like okay, now we got to do two lines that have Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander. Uh, I would have liked to see more of that. I was interested in where that was going. Again, it's not exactly the iteration I would have gone for, but it's like okay, we tried it once, and you know they. Detroit game was sort of a bad look because of what happened with Detroit and that team should have been, you know, totally gassed and in that weird situation. And so he should be able to put them away. Um, but at the same time, like they, they played all right in that game. Like they, they should have played better in the first, I guess with, it was Detroit. just a terrible hockey game by, and yeah, by. it was, it was well, just not, but they weren't, it's not like Detroit dominated them or anything. Like if I no. watched that per- performance, I wouldn't say, Hey, this setup can never work again. Now, I think where they screwed up is, and I think you essentially wrote this, is if you're going to split up the core four into three lines, Tavares has to be the guy that has one of yeah. the other guys with him. Like, or it else has to make sense. Like, make yeah. it make sense. Yeah, like I think you do something with Tavares, and you know, at this point, based on what we've seen, Nylander, uh, because Tavares and Marner is just not impressed the season, and then you give Marner a line, like, okay, Marner, you're whatever, you're a 99 point guy and a Selkie candidate. And you make this much money, you should be able to drive a line. Austin Matthews, we don't really, you know, put a Homeberg on there, put a yarn croak on the other side, feel good about it defensively, grind the puck, give them the puck. Like that should work as well. Now, against Edmonton, you know, that goal right off the top, like classic Marner Matthews, and it kind of reminds you of what that pairing can be at its best. But I thought it was really interesting what they did in Detroit, even if I didn't agree with every particular of it. And then immediately it got abandoned. Yeah, no, I'm happy that they were trying to shake up the lines. I just wasn't happy with the overall approach they took to doing it, which is to say you can't put together a bunch of lines that just don't make sense. That like like that they're never going to have staying power, right? So to sit there and be like, Nye's going to play with camp, that's not real. Nye's yeah, knows who, it. No one's getting something good out of that. And Nyes, I think, had the least uh, five-on-five ice time of any forward. And as much as we talk about his production being down, even longer term, we're trying to develop Nyes. Like, you got to get him on the ice with half-decent players. Yeah. And and so guys aren't taking it seriously to the extent that they should when it's just not real, right? You know, John Tavares is going to look around playing with Nick Robertson and no other star on his line and say, yeah, I got it. I got to dig in on this one. Cause it's going to be a rough night. Right? I mean, like, it, w- it was a rough night for that line. Of course but, it was a rough night for that line. The second you saw them on paper, you knew it was going to be a, a rough night for them. Like what, what was going to be the redeeming quality of that line? Yeah, I, I don't, and I don't know. I think that I understand the Domi Marner thing, and I think that's sort of the way to go. I just, I don't like Matthews Nylander at this point together, just because they seem like the reliable bets to drive lines, and you need at least two lines being driven by stars on this team with what you're yeah. paying them. Yeah, and that, that's the reality of it. Like at that point, when I, I mean, and it's funny seeing Holmberg up there. I mean, we we talked a bit about Holmberg last week. I know it became sort of a bigger story this week. Yeah, I think you watch an Edmonton game. You know, there's a reason this guy's never scored 15 goals across levels more than that in any season or more than 45 points. He's been around for a while. Like, he's he's fu- he's good in the sense that he doesn't make stupid mistakes as much. But you know, the puck flips off the stick. Like, it's just his skill level is not 
at that level. Like I saw some, I forget what it is. I'm not trying to call out individual writer being like, oh, after this performance, like Holmberg is going to be stapled to that line for a while. And I'm like, uh, I mean, it helps you spread some other stuff out, I guess. You could make that argument. But uh, the idea that Holmberg is is some kind of solution or some kind of big discovery by the Leafs, I don't know if I'd go that far. What Holmberg should be the solution for is to spread things out further across three lines. That That is actively how it... Because Nice is going to be a better player than Holmberg. Like, if he, if he isn't eventually a better player that is a that is a stone cold stunner like that is a problem like something went very wrong developmentally or Holmberg became like an amazing player and kudos to him right but he but Nyes actually flashes game breaking plays and abilities and every couple weeks he does something where you go wow that was that was special like he like he has his hands and his size it's a like it's a combination not a lot of players have yeah and so what I like about Holmberg, which I, I might have said last week, I it's been it's been a long week since we've recorded, but he's a pro. He's he's turning 25. Like he's played professional hockey in Sweden. He has played in the American League. He understands his role and he doesn't really try to go out of it. I think Nyes is kind of caught in between wanting to be more in terms of uh, like a skill guy and make plays and do the things that he's accustomed to doing while also trying to provide essentially what Matthews and Marner need, which is someone to forecheck and go to the net, which is not nearly as glamorous as probably anything Nice has ever done in his entire life, hockey-wise, right? So to ask a guy, hey, you're a skill player, go out and essentially be a plumber for these guys is a tough adjustment. And I think that that's often what we see from, from Nye. So I think pushing him down and allowing him to be a little bit more of that skill guy against weaker matchups is beneficial to him. And I think Holmberg is more than capable of being that plumber type. You know, what, what has he been good at? He's basically been not a liability. He has been good on the forecheck and he keeps pucks alive and goes to the net. Like people aren't sitting there going Holmberg is some sort of revelation because look at these six skill plays that he's making and the way that he toe dragged that guy and the way that he sniped that shot. It's just like he's doing his job and he's doing it well. And but that needs to be turned into an opportunity where you sit there and it's like this has found money to help further bolster the rest of the lineup. Yeah, and I think he's also just a continued case study for Matthews doesn't need elite support to provide elite results. Of course and, he doesn't. Which I don't think people I don't think that's news to anyone, but sometimes the way the Leafs are continually sticking a Marner Nylander on his flank, you know, basically no matter what, uh, I don't think that's some kind of indictment in Matthews. I think it's in it's them trying to find opportunities for other guys and and all that jazz, but I think it, it kind of goes to show when you have Holmberg come up on that line that not, not quote unquote, anyone can do it, but to some extent, like someone who is competent and strong and willing to be a role player can do it. And Nice is sort of, he's stuck in a difficult position because he doesn't really know how to be a role player yet. And he's not good enough to be a star yet. Maybe someday he will be a star. 
Um, but he's on that odd. I mean, I think it would be fun to see Nyes on the wing of uh, Domi Marner line where you have two pass first guys and Nyes can be more of a goal scorer uh, potentially. Yeah. But I don't, I just, I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see Nyes on the wing of a Domi Yarn Coke line or something like that longer term until he either, yeah, he's got to sort of figure out one. He's got to figure out how to be a better puck retriever blue collar guy or he's got to just elevate his game to the point where he forces their hand to be on a really really good line and that'll probably happen like i have a lot of faith in nice longer term that'll probably yeah. happen but i just it's probably not the season that this will happen yeah and ultimately too i think i think it can be difficult to play with matthews and marner because you see the things that they're doing on the ice and then you want to get in on the action and it's just very few guys can do it right like even even yesterday Knives was on the second line with Tavares and Nylander and he got stuffed multiple times up going up on the breakout. Like he's trying to make plays at his own blue line, which is just a death sentence against a good team like Edmonton. And which is what Nick Robertson was having problems with too. And there was a one shift where he was in the second where he was there and, and twice he had opportunities to just flip it out. Like just get the puck out. Like just, you're not going to make a play, but you're going to get the puck out and you're going to force Edmonton to tag up and you're going to slow things down. And instead, he tried to make plays and the defenseman poked it off him both times. And it's just like, there's no game awareness there. There's just none, like zero. Like you have to understand the context of the game. You're getting territorially outplayed. You're leading the game. You are on the road. You're playing an elite team and you are trying to make plays at your own blue line on the breakout. And the thing is, is guys like Matthews and Marner actually can do that because they're elite players. But you are not elite. Right. I, it was the same problem I had with Michael Bunting there the, the last two years. It's like he slowly started trying to do more of these things. When Bunting was at his best is when he came in just hungry to prove himself and he was a dog. And sure. Holmberg is Holmberg is somewhat in that boat right now, too, because he's a hundred percent not proven in the league and he very much has to fight for his bread at this point in time. You know, like when he went down to the American League start the season, no one was crying about it. Like Holmberg very much this week. No, they done. tried Fraser Minton, yeah. you know, like they could have had Holmberg who yeah. had played some center in the NHL and they opted to try something totally wild instead. Like that yeah. shows where he was at. Like this week has been a nice week for him, but this is by no means has, has set him up for life. Like he very much has to still be hungry. I still think that he is. So yeah, ultimately what we're kind of going towards is like, what is the strength of the team and how are you building it? Cause I just don't think, I think it's been proven time and again that these guys, it's not enough to just say that, that they'll guide us. Like you can't look at them the way you would look at McKinnon and the way you might even look at McDavid, who also has not won a cup, but he's at least gone to the conference finals twice now. And, and performed at a very high, I mean, yeah, him and dry title, like unbelievable been, level performance in the playoffs. They've been crazy productive in the playoffs. Like you can't even hold a candle from what they've done in the playoffs production wise to what Matthews and Marner have done. And so, I don't know, at some point you just have to be honest about that and say, maybe we can't, like, this isn't the path to winning is just loading these guys up with ice time and like praying to God one year it all falls together. Like maybe it has to be a little bit more than that. And then the question then becomes, what does that look like and how do you get there? Because to me, it's, it's just, it's, it's that approach, which has been my problem for years now 
And my hope going into the season was that that they had more talent depth to spread out across their roster, which I still believe that they do. And they just really have not tapped into it into a meaningful way. It's basically been the same old song and dance. Yeah. I mean, that's why entering the season, everyone sort of figured either Keefe, and I'm not saying Keefe is as important as the structure of the team in general, but they figured either Keefe or something in the core four is going to be shaken up. They have run it back. Running it back has not resulted in the type of success they were hoping it would to this point. We'll see what happens now. But it it looks like another season in a similar mold because the chances of doing something radical at the deadline are declining by the day. They need to play a lot better to prove that it would be worthwhile to do something like that. And Treliving is hinting that that's not what's coming. So I don't know. We're only in January here. In the middle of January, something else could easily happen. But as it stands... It is. It's looking a lot like a Toronto Maple Leaf season, uh, for, for better, for better, for worse. Mainly for worse, you could argue, but for better than it is to be fans of a lot of other teams. To be fair, uh, we are on a bit of a time restriction here, so I'm going to leave it right there. We thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be with you next week, as always. We appreciate if you guys provide any ratings, reviews, things like that. Share the podcast. Just tell people. All the things that help this show grow and succeed are things that we appreciate from you. Uh, And we'll be with you again soon. Everyone is looking